Good morning, church. Love my uh, friend Wesley, who helps take care of our budget a whole lot. He just texted me to say, make sure you look at the left clock, not the right clock, because that one's not changed. So I'm going to look at this one, and it gives me like two hours to preach. So, <laughs> Welcome to uh, the A&M Church, but also to our, our focus on Mission Sunday. As uh, Kyler shared, this is an opportunity for us uh, to do something each year, but really we're practicing for what we do every day because um, we're trying to live out uh, this pathway of discipleship. He, he mentioned this before, I'll just say again, we're working out of uh, this mission, this vision to kind of anybody in our sphere of influence, we want to invite them to find hope and live with purpose. And Jesus gave us that purpose in the Great Commission to make disciples that make disciples, to pass that on from one generation to the next. And we do that in these three relationships. God, as so we meet up together collectively and individually with God, as so we plug into this spiritual community and this family here in increasing ways. But then today, we're really focusing on this last movement. What is our relationship to the world around us? And how do we live out in natural ways the gospel that we have received uh, and the way that God has blessed us. And we're really focusing on that. But it's not just one Sunday that we do this. This is a reminder and really a training for what we do in our lives every single day. And it was interesting when, when I first got here and I was kind of mapping out the way things would go for the year, um, everybody told me, well, you know, on Mission Sunday, the preacher doesn't usually preach. <laughs> so usually I have somebody else. I'm like, okay, great. So, you know, I planned the series on Exodus. I, w I wouldn't even think there would be anything I would do here the Sunday, certainly not on Exodus, and then uh, the Mission National Group said, no, you haven't been here before, why don't, why don't you be a part of this? I'm like, I'm excited to do that, and I thought, well, I hadn't really planned on that being in the series, but then all of a sudden it hit me, hold on, this actually fits really well with the series we've been doing, because we, we've, we've looked at the book of Exodus as an example of God inviting his people on a journey into his adventure, his mission, and his purpose to fix what's broken in this world. Well, what what fits more than that with what we're doing on Mission Sunday? But even more particular to that, there, there's, a, there's a chunk of the text right there in the middle uh, that fits exactly the kind of vision that we're doing today, and I think it'll be helpful for us. So we're going to look at that. We're going to go a little bit out of order. So we'll go back a chapter or so, a couple chapters or so, and pick up part of the story next week. Um, but we're going to pick up in, um, if you have your Bibles or your devices that you read on, um, Exodus chapter 35. And again, it's a big chunk of text here. Um, and, and so, uh, by the way, I, I wrote that wrong. It should be uh, 35 through 36, 7, not 38. So it is a chunk. It's just not that big of a chunk. Um, and I, I won't read all of it. We'll jump through it a little bit. I want you to get a picture of this. This is the word of the Lord from Exodus 35. And we're going to start in verse 4, but just take note of this. We'll come back to it in a moment. This section, which is a section talking about God's instructions and how the people began building and constructing the tabernacle. And we'll talk more about the tabernacle in a couple of weeks. Tabernacle, just think of this, is a symbol of God's presence among his people and in the world. It's a place that manifests the presence of God. And they're constructing it, and this is the section for the construction on it. Just take a note of this, we'll come back. The first three verses we won't read start with God reminding them of the Sabbath command. Then after that, we pick up in verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. 
everyone whose heart is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. And then he lists a bunch of them. We'll skip down to verse 10. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. And then in great great detail, lists all the things the Lord has commanded to build. Skip down to verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved then came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all of its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were of a willing heart, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds. And it lists all the different kinds. Uh, We'll skip down to verse 26, 25. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue or purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and whose hearts made them uh, willing to use the skill that they had spun the goat hair. And it explains more of that. Verse 29. All the Israelite men and women whose hearts were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded to them to do. And pay close attention to this section, the work of God here. Then Moses, in verse 30, said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, and it lists all of his names. And he, was filled, he filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Aholiab, all of his names, uh, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with the skill to do all kinds of work. Skip down to verse, chapter 36, verse 2. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and whose heart was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry the work of constructing the sanctuary. And all the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave a command and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a question that people have been struggling with for a long time, one way or another. We often struggle with this question in our daily lives, but I want to think about it in terms of how we approach God. Here's the question. What are you looking for? What are you looking for when you approach God, when you pray to God? What are you looking for? What are you expecting from God when you are crying out for help or intervention or some interaction from God? Now, I think this question is actually a fitting one to ask, even if you are visiting today just because you respect somebody else and you're just coming and hanging out, but you don't even believe in God. And that's okay, by the way, if you are searching and you don't believe yet, this is a welcome place to come and explore that journey. In fact, I would even argue atheists need to ask this question, what are you looking for? I say that because a friend of mine, we'll call him Nate, that's not his name, Nate, a good friend of mine, and some years ago he was... He was there at my wedding, and we just interacted a lot. But the way to describe Nate, Nate was not just an agnostic, didn't really know about God. Nate was a committed unbeliever. 
He was committed to being an atheist. And he could give you a long list of reasons why he did not believe in God. By the way, most of the reasons that he would offer, I agreed with. It's just the argument that he made were often off of silly or foolish or sometimes horrible things that people had done in the name of God, but it wasn't God. But beyond that, I remember one time Nate said this to me. He said, I will only believe in God if God comes and personally does a miracle in my life. I will only believe in God if in some personal way, some visual way, God will powerfully show up and do do something miraculous in my own life. Now, there are all sorts of theological responses you might even begin thinking about right now. You can't get any more personal uh, than the incarnation, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is very personal and it's a miracle that was done for you. I get all of that. But often when I hear words like this or challenging things like this, I've been trained by uh, wise and more mature people in my life to say, before you start critiquing someone else and what they said, ask this question, is there any place of your own heart that thinks the same thing? And I thought about this and I'm like, yeah, to put it in Exodus language, If I'm honest, when I come to God and when I pray for God, far too often what I'm looking for is a burning bush kind of moment. What I want from God is something really personal and really spectacular. I want to know that God is right here, right now. I remember one consistent theme that I dealt with all the time when I was a campus minister. I would have student after student after student come to me and say, words that I've since learned isn't just located or confined to college ministry or student ministry, but people all the time would say, I don't feel God right now. What's wrong? And there's something in our hearts that say, I need to see him. I need to feel him. I need some spectacular movement of God in my life right now and right here. By the way, God does do burning bush, as we saw last week, mountain shaking kind of moments. He does do that. And he is powerful and present in our lives, and we can feel him sometimes. But if we pay attention to the way God reveals himself, it's not always that way. In fact, we saw earlier as we're going through this epic story of Exodus that one of the reasons that God did the Exodus was to demonstrate to Pharaoh, Egypt, Israel, and the world things about God. He's revealing God's own self to people. So maybe we come to this story and and ask him, God, is there something we learn about the way you work? from this unique little story. And I believe if we get what God is saying here, it'll be transformative for our daily lives. It also will be helpful as we think about our perspective on Mission Sunday. So I just want to make a few observations as we go into the text. And the first thing that I observe, I just want you to to notice what the Spirit chooses to inspire. Did you catch this? What does the Holy Spirit choose to inspire? When we hear about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm instantly on the edge of my seat waiting uh, for those kind of sea-splitting moments. I'm waiting for knock Paul off of Saul at that time, off the back of his horse as the heavens open and Jesus encounters him right away. I'm, I'm expecting as the Holy Spirit fills and moves someone, I'm expecting a merry moment when An angel comes and visits her and says in a really powerful and personal way, hey, you're going to have this miraculous birth. It says in chapter 35, verse 31, it says the Holy Spirit of God filled these two men. Bezalel and Holyab. By the way, if you're about to have kids, here's a couple names for you. (laughs) 
fills them with the Holy Spirit. And again, I'm on the edge of my seat. Fills them to do what? To teach? To heal miraculously? That'll happen later in the book with the serpent of the desert. Is he supernaturally fill them with the Holy Spirit to pray prophetically and tongues of fire come down from heaven and all of that. By the way, the Holy Spirit does all of those things and I believe continues to do and work in spectacular ways. We will never tell God what he can or cannot do. The Holy Spirit works in spectacular ways. But notice what it says here in verse 35. It says the Holy Spirit of God filled them with skill to do all kinds of work. In fact, it defines it very clearly. The Holy Spirit that filled them with wisdom and ability to design, to cut stones, to work in wood, and in all kinds of artistic craft. <laughs> Did you catch this? The Holy Spirit fills these men basically to do construction work, architectural design, and to be art teachers. Just take that in for a moment. The Holy Spirit of the living God fills these men to do construction work, architectural design, and to be art teachers. And the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to teach other people to do this work too. Staggering to me. What does that say? Look, sometimes the work of God is strikingly ordinary. And I'm waiting for the sea to split and the bush to be on fire. And yes, God does that. But often, the Holy Spirit-filling work of God is strikingly ordinary. Love the way my teacher put it one time. He talked about, did a whole series on the thuddingly unspectacular work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of spectacular work for the Holy Spirit. But he talked about how oh, the Holy Spirit loves doing this thuddingly unspectacular, behind-the-scenes, everyday work. By the way, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to make us more like Jesus. Not to put on dazzling shows. Now, he will do that, but that's not his main work. And in this text, it is striking to me that the Spirit of God fills the people of God to do what you do every single day. And it is just as spiritual for you to open yourself up for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in business and in schools and as parents and grandparents and as students. The Holy Spirit will fill you for everyday, practical, ordinary work in Jesus' name. That's why I love, thank you so much, Dima. I don't know where you're sitting. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. Dima served as a minister, and he's told the gospel all around the world. But as Jerry mentioned, you know, he, he spends, he and, and the group that he's with will spend up to 10 hours a day traveling all over the country to take medical supplies and humanitarian aid to people in the most devastated places in our world and people that are the most desperate. And listen to me, that is every bit as spiritual as handing them a Bible. The Holy Spirit of God inspires everyday, ordinary work for the kingdom of God, yet, yes, opens up the door to then speak a word in Jesus' name. Isn't it astounding that all of those things come together? That's why I love what Jerry said a few weeks ago when he said, look, Mission Sunday is celebrating the work of God all over the place, but it actually transforms what we do right here. 
I'll say this more, and we'll talk about this more in a moment. But Mission Sunday is about discipleship, not just evangelism. And if we think that the work that we do on this Sunday is to get somebody in every circumstance to pray a prayer and get baptized and to get a Bible, then we're missing the point. It transforms what we do right here and right now. And it reminds us that the Holy Spirit is passionate about ordinary, practical, everyday stuff. Second thing to notice here is notice the details. Some of you love this, by the way. Some of you love details. Some of you will take a story like this and there's something that rises up in your heart that says, can I make a spreadsheet out of this? Can I calculate this? And people like me, oh, I just want to do what I did. I want to skim over the story and I want to get the big picture. God inspires the details. And by the way, there's incredible detail in this story. I don't know if you felt it when I read it. Some of you were like, are you serious? I remember in, in first service, we got people like, kept thinking I was done and I'm reading a little bit more like, really? We're going to read this thing? Let me give, just give you a sense of what I skipped over. You're like, really? Yes. Look at verse 10 of chapter 35. It says, all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord had commanded. And then it gives a list of all the things they're supposed to make. The tabernacle, the tent, its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, bases, the ark with its poles, the atonement cover, the curtain that shields it, the table with the poles, the articles, the bread of the presence, the lampstands, accessories, lamps, oils for the light. I can't even read the whole thing. It bores me to read this. It's okay to say that. I know it's in the Bible. But I come across this and I think, why all the detail? By the way, to add to this, if you read through the story of the Exodus, one of the things that you'll find when you get to this chapter is that almost everything that is said here is almost word for word a repetition of what the text already said in chapters 25 through 31. Go back and read that sometime, especially if you are a little bit uh, having a hard time get to sleep. Because what you'll find is, let's just one example, chapter 25, the first nine verses are almost word for word, the beginning of this chapter, where Moses invites all of the people of God to bring in minute detail all sorts of different things to come to construct the temple, I mean, the tabernacle. And then if you look at the first 11 verses of chapter 31, it is word for word, the same calling and description of the Holy Spirit coming on Bezalel and Aholiab, filling them with the Spirit of God to do all of this artistic and architectural work. Why all the detail? By the way, the only difference is that this section has even more detail. <laughs> and it lists all the things they make and all the things they give. Why do they do that? Consult the rabbis for centuries have said the same thing that scholars will say today. God is in the details. What is the message of the detail? Here's the thing. We, we skipped over the story. We're going to get to it next week. If you know anything about the Exodus story, right before this, the people of God have epically failed. The time that God was giving them his covenant wedding vows, they fail and they run away from God. But part of the detail is intended to say in this moment, this is a moment when they actually got it right. 
You ever heard somebody say, parents, grandparents, best thing you can do is catch your kids doing something right? This section is the Holy Spirit of God catching the people of God doing something right. In other words, all the detail tells us that they followed and obeyed the instruction of the Lord all the way down to the small detail. Quick pastoral note as I say this, by the way. If you grew up in a setting when people used the Old Testament to beat you up, don't let that happen now. Because I can read something like this. Oh, I better follow God to the minutest detail or he's going to send fire down from heaven and blow me up. Now, I do want to follow God with that level of detail, but that's not, this is not a legalistic text. It is a grace text. Isn't it glorious that after Israel's worst failure so far in the story, God highlights a whole section of the story that says they got it right in other words, in the middle of the most boring section of this text, what you find is an absolute positive declaration of hope. God says, I will not give up on you, and your failure is not the last word. I'm going to highlight the place where, by the grace of God, you came back and did it right this time. And that will be a legacy going forward. Isn't that glorious? Even the boring detail is a declaration of the grace of God. Got a dear friend of mine, one of the most powerful prayer warriors I've ever known, one of the greatest teachers of scripture that I've ever known. But for a significant piece of his life in his earlier adulthood, he was in jail. And if you met this guy today and you heard him pray and you listened to him teach, you would be shocked to know that this is a guy that could have ended up behind bars. And God says, you know what? I'm not giving up on him in a time of his failure. I will transform him in such a way that his life will be a legacy of my grace when he gets it right and not just a warning when he gets it wrong. Isn't that glorious? To notice the details that in the detail, God gives us this strong declaration of hope. Last thing that I notice as we go through this story, I love this. Isn't it great to notice what gets changed in the story? You notice what changes here? This is the place when I want to take us back to the way that this section began. Remember, this is instructions, sometimes ad nauseum detailed instructions about how they constructed the temple and how they're getting ready to build the temple and all of that. But what is it that gets changed in this? Well, here's the thing. What's interesting about this, in all of this temple construction language, why in the world would you start with the first three verses being a reminder of the command of the Sabbath? You're about to work on the construction of the temple. Why would God say, oh, by the way, lest you forget, remember in the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, there's this command to honor the Sabbath and rest on that day. Why in the world? What has changed by the time we get here? They're about to do this elaborate construction work on the temple, this sacred meeting place with God in the world. What has changed? Well, how did the story of Exodus begin? If you weren't here, or maybe if you were, let's just remind ourselves, how does the whole story begin? It begins with a different construction project. Do you remember this? It begins with the people of God oppressed, enslaved, and hear me, forced to construct cities and storehouses to make the empire and Pharaoh's name great. 
the entire book of Exodus ends with the people of God, listen to me, free to construct a place to the make the name of God, the creator of the universe, great. And by the way, he will go on to say, what's awesome about this is I'm going to make this not just to make my name great. I'm going to bring my name right down in the middle of my people. Isn't that staggering? The story begins and ends with a construction project. What has changed, changed is they're not forced anymore. They are radically free. And that's why passage after passage after passage says these words here. Everyone whose heart is willing gets to come. Everyone whose hearts are moved gets to come. Everyone comes to offer a free will offering of their treasures, of their gifts, of the things they have, and their gifts. Everyone whose hearts are moved. God always calls people in freedom. By the way, the whole story of the Bible opens with the first three words out of the mouth of God. You are free. You're free. So here's what's most amazing. It's not just their circumstances have changed. What has changed at this part of the story is the people. <laughs> they have changed. From someone who was forced and compelled to do construction work to someone who was free and delighted to do it. That's why I love the picture of what happened when the children were out there making their things and offering their things and then rushing up here with delight to put it in the basket. Did you catch how the story ended? Moses offered the strangest command of the world. Jerry, Kent, elders, can you imagine this command? Stop giving us money and stuff. Have you ever heard a church say that before? <laughs> the worker said we can't do the work because people keep bringing stuff. Now listen to me. This is staggering, but we got to get this. What changed was their heart. And the power of the grace of God is far more compelling than Pharaoh's military might and force ever could be. And when God says, I'm going to make a covenant, my people, before you do a single thing to earn it, and even when you blow it in staggering ways, I'm going to come back and offer you an opportunity to get it right and to be my ambassadors to the world, they say, you got to hold us back from bringing this to God. That's why this story is so compelling to me. By the way, that, that's what I think about when I hear Jerry say, we're behind in giving and all that. I'm not going to get up here and start pounding things. and make. If you hear anything we say as leadership as guilt, remove it now. But here's what I am going to do. I'm not going to say you got to give and you got to do this. I'm praying for transformed hearts that receive the grace of God, that we recognize how staggering it is that we get to gather in the name of Jesus Christ and we have a message to share with people whose lives are shattered and broken. If I get that, you won't be able to hold me back, giving time and treasure and talents and all of that. That's the gift. I'm not there yet, by the way. We'll get there in just a second. That's why I, I, I contend that Mission Sunday is not at all about just raising money. 
And I'm convinced Mission Sunday is not just about a list of things that we plan to do around the world that we hope is what God's intending us to do. Now, those things are important. There are goals that MAG has. I love the, 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 the kind of the vision that we've got. Mission Action Group, we, we would love for everybody to go give or pray by 2025. And I want to say that, you're letting us off easy. Go give or pray. Every member do that. We ought to be able to do that right now. If all you got to do is pray. And by the way, that's no small thing. We're asking the creator of the universe to touch lives on this. To go give or pray by 2025. But let me tell you the secret that Mag, I think, wants you to hear. But it's true in every group that I've seen before. This is the secret that I had in campus ministry. Here's the big secret, by the way, about mission trips and retreats and all that. Here's the thing. If we could just get you on the trip, that's all it takes. We know that. If we could just get you to give and get your heart invested a little bit, all it takes. Why? Because we are convinced. Now you can put it up there. (laughs) That if you join God in his adventure to fix a broken world, it will capture your heart. All you've got to do is see God working in the lives of broken people like us and your heart will be right there. That's the secret. We know it. It's okay that I tell the secret, right? That's why we do the kind of things we do. And and listen, the, the version of the Mission Action Group two churches ago knew this. And they knew this for me. And one of the things they tried to do for two or three years, I've been preaching there for a little while, and they said, please go with us to Nicaragua. It was one of our mission points. And, uh, and I had not, not been to that one before. Not that you have to go to everywhere, but you know, pick one place and go. And they invited me to go to this. And a good friend of mine said, please come. And, and I did eventually. And I will be honest with you, totally honest with you, because you, you can't have equal care and investment in everything in the world. I will be honest with you. Before that time, I didn't know much about Nicaragua at all. And if I'm really honest with you, I didn't care that much. And, and I'm not saying I'm evil or bad. I'm just saying my, my heart was focused on other things. And then we went down there, and my daughter came with me on one of those trips. And on that trip, we met this little girl. Her name is Katerine. I'll never forget this encounter. Katerine was a little girl whose mother abandoned her, left her there with the church, never knew who her father was. And the missionary and his wife, who was there, uh, didn't just preach and do all that kind of stuff. He, they took her into their home, and they were in the process of adopting her. Later, the mother came back and got her. We all prayed. God, I hope you're doing the right thing. And of course you are. And So maybe the seeds were planted that's going to change generations. Don't know. But I'll never forget just being there and watching the entire church there and the community of people surround this girl as if she were their own. Now tell me, let me tell you something now. Guess what I care about? I care about the country of Nicaragua like never before. And I care about that church down there. And I care because I know this Girl, that's the secret. So that's why we do all of these trips. You can just scroll through some of those. That's why we do these trips. That's why we invite people on these experiences. Why? Because we know, listen to me, because this is the real magic. It's not just caring about them and knowing their hearts. Listen, when we go on mission with God, we get to know God's heart for them and it changes everything. That's what Jerry's trying to say. Let's hear it. When we go on mission for God, wherever we go, whether you're just driving somewhere into an orphanage home in Texas or we go to the other side of the world, when we see God's heart for broken people there, it changes what we do right here. Our missions work is always about discipleship 
first. That's why people have said it all the time and we say it as a throwaway line. And then finally, I realized it was the point. How many times do we say, we go on the trip and what do we say? We went there to bless, but what? We were the one that was blessed. Did you know that's the point? Because God knows if he changes your heart first, he will have to hold you back from serving everywhere you are. His spirit will accomplish his mission. So if he just gets our hearts in line with him, you can't hold us back. And that's why we won't have to worry about money or budgets or things because we are capturing the heart of the spirit of God who is is going to transform a broken world. So we're going to end in this way. I'm just going to take a couple of moments of silence and ask for the prayer of God. Again, hear me, and I'm saying this as a prayer. If anything I have said is guilt or pressure, it is not true and it's not of God. Get rid of it. But an entire community was transformed when hearts were moved to give their lives to the mission of God. And so I want to pray right now. Moment of silence to pray. What is it that God is inviting you to go or give or pray into? And by the way, we are not assuming that just what we've talked about is the most important thing. Holy Spirit can say what he wants to say for you, and it might be totally different than what we've laid out. But our invitation on Missions Sunday is for you to be all in on the mission of God. And so we want to end praying into that. Moment of silence for you to pray, and then we'll finish this out. incredible and glorious God I am so grateful some of the early confessions of faith call you Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life I just love the fact that as Lord you do not force us to do anything you invite us and then you absolutely capture and compel us by your grace and you are first and always the giver of life And you have given yourself for the life of the world. You are continuing to give your spirit, your gift, your power to transform this world. Thank you for inviting us into your heart to be self-givers as well. And Father, we pray that you accomplish everything that you have planned, not just for Mission Sunday, but for the mission of this spiritual community. We pray this in the glorious resurrected name and for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.